What's up, everybody? You're listening to Out of the Box Podcast with your host, D-Star. Enjoy the show! What's up, everybody? This is your host, D-Star, here with... Cedric Page. Cedric Page, my man. How you doing, man? Doing pretty good. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, man. I'm blessed and highly favored. I had a wonderful night last night. Concert Mad Lit. Shout out to Rob D's for putting that on. And Corey Dub Dash. Cedric Page is... I'm going to just let y'all... It's a lot. He's, he's definitely a lot. I'm going to hand over the floor to him. So, Cedric, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Cedric Page. I'm a corporate businessman, business owner, mentor, father, community activist, lover of pushing people I care about and young people forward in a positive way. Uh, that's pretty much the best way for me to describe who I am, a man that puts family first, and I live by the creed of honesty and loyalty. Uh, those are the things that mean the most to me. So where are you from? Originally from New Orleans. Grew up between New Orleans and Natchez, Mississippi. Went to graduated high school, actually, out of North Natchez High School. Deep South went to... So you, did, uh, did you know Baby? <laughs> <laughs> I knew of Baby. Oh, you knew of him? I knew of Baby. I have family members that are good friends with Master P's father. I mean, when you New Orleans is a big city, but it's a big, small city. So you always end up knowing people from the peripheral. I met actually met Master P when he had a little jerry curl and he used to play basketball in the park uptown. Oh, yeah. All the time. So I had an opportunity to really see him as a baller and he could he was the real deal. Oh, he could hoop. Oh, that's an understatement. He was the real deal coming out of New Orleans. Also, Avery Johnson. Right. Came out of New Orleans as well, went to Southern. Um, actually had an opportunity to uh, meet him on several different occasions as well. You know, growing up, I was always exposed to my grandfather having his own business, my father having his own business, family members being realtors, uh, family, be- family uh, members being politicians, always active in the community and doing different things um, on my father's side of the family. My mom's side of the family, you know, we had really hard workers. My grandfather was really known in the communities, but, you know, we dealt with some of the same struggles as most people that come out of poverty and in the inner city. My my mother had me when she was 16 years old. So, you know, I always say she wore her bruises out in the open. Uh, I watched her grow. I watched her become better. And, um, You know, I learned in the beginning some dysfunctional things, you know, but when you become a man, you learn to to shed things that you do as a child and to to push forward and and correct some of the things or the mistakes of your past. But going back to your question, I've always been someone that's been business minded. I've always when I was in middle school, I knew people love candy and pickles. So I used to keep candy and pickles in my locker and sell them for 50 cents and a dollar. So I definitely came out of that. And in the summers, I used to work for my grandfather. So I've been an electrician's apprentice, bricklayer's apprentice, um, laying sheetrock, doing carpentry work. So I grew up using my hands, understanding what hard work was, and also helping my grandmother in her part-time job where she had a house cleaning business and doing that. So I was always exposed to ways of, of earning and not necessarily depending on one thing or one person to create opportunities for you. From there, I had an opportunity from playing sports and different things to have an opportunity to go to UW-Madison. Got an invite to walk on, blew out my Achilles, and ended up just working for the university at the Towers, where I met my mentor, my first major mentor, which is Mr. Bill Levy. 
Uh, he's a very prominent, very successful real estate mogul here in Madison, owns several properties, but is just genuinely a good person and cares about people. And working for him at the Towers, I ended up managing the Towers and, and the Regent Street Apartments. So you're talking about two buildings, roughly $2 million each in terms of annual revenue coming in and some additional revenue coming from the food service programs and some of the summer programs that I had in I was blessed to have a gentleman that believed in me enough to put a young African-American man in charge of, of these things or in a position of, of influence. And I learned from that. So in the summers, the towers used to turn into, and the region used to turn into senior summer school, where you had, and it was Jewish-American dominant, but you had old federal judges, old stockbrokers from Wall Street. You had very successful people whom I had access to. Um, for advice and to push me forward. And I never forget a gentleman, Mr. Lee, would make me come down every summer in the morning and read the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and the LA Times. And he would teach me how to pick stocks. And he would talk to me about business all day, every day. And he was building on foundations that were laid by my grandfather and my father, Vernon Johns, my grandfather, Vernon Johnson, my dad, Vernon, my grandfather, Fred Page. They all laid the foundations to push me forward as a entrepreneur and as a corporate man, because, you know, education was something that was embedded in me in terms of as a key, not saying that it's the end all, but it's a key to opening up doors. Knowledge is power. And I was always taught that from a very, very young age to always seek knowledge. That was what drove me. You want to know what drives me is the, I call it the unquenchable thirst. My cup is always that full. I'm always looking to quench this thirst and pushing myself forward and to never want to be mediocre. So I have a desire to always want to be the best. And if I'm not the best, I'm going to be one of the best. So with Mr. Levy training me in management, training me to run his food service program, training me to manage these properties, uh, it opened up a lot of doors for me professionally. Some of the doors that it opened for me were at the University of Florida, FSU. I had opportunities to go down to both of those universities for my affiliation with the Towers and UW-Madison and take over their housing programs and their food service programs, each one of those schools. But when I think back, I always said, you know, I turned them down. Because I always knew it was something more for me. I didn't want to just step into a position and know this is the job I'm going to have for 30 years. And, you know, there's ceilings to that, right? There's a lesson in that. Complacency. You know, yes. What I mean by that is the feeling of everything is okay. I'm content. I'm good. So he never got complacent. He never felt that he was good. Like he said, his cup was always half empty. Well, my bruises out in the open. So don't get me wrong. I've made bad decisions. I've lived by the creed. I do what it takes to feed my family, make sure that I'm okay. And I've been blessed in my life to be surrounded by good people who advised me and kept me out of situations that would have gotten me in prison or in jail. But by no means do will I suggest that I didn't experience and see a lot of the same things, the killings, a lot of the drugs. I've seen all of those things, but in my celebration of my life, I don't want to celebrate and put focus on that. All of that is is who I am. I feel confident I can go in any environment and be okay. A lot of us come from situations and circumstances that aren't desirable. How did you overcome that? How did you not get wrapped up into that? When I was younger, 
I was fascinated by all the money and things that all the money that came from hustling. Okay, I was enthralled with it. My uncle used to take me on a corner every day and have me fighting his friends, nephews and cousins like we were pit bulls to prove who was the toughest. And I used to always think, you know, I'm going to go to prison. And when I get out, I'm going to go to prison, a soldier, and I'm going to come out a general. I was committed to going to jail, being a menace. You know, that meant doing whatever I needed to do to have those stripes because I grew up thinking going to prison was a badge of honor. And then talking about households and how I overcome, I have to tell the story so you understand how I overcome, right? I didn't have a large part of my mother. You know, my mother was young. She didn't make good decisions. She liked hustlers. You watched your mother grow up. Right. I watched her grow up. My dad told me, I love him now. We've had a great relationship. But in the beginning, he told me he didn't like kids. So the depression that kids go through, the isolation that kids go through, I felt. But the caveat to that was my whole family on both sides, I was always the favorite. So everybody embraced me. So, but we long for what we don't have, right? Right. So I longed for that father who was in California that I used to go visit and, you know, being with my mom and having a stepfather who people talk to talk and say, oh, he was this and that bona fide, legitimate, on paper kingpin. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about drugs, I can remember being in the second grade at the kitchen table with a triple beam bagging up dope. We understood what it was, understood what I was doing. We we prepared for house raids. I remember running to school with backpacks with 150 grand in a backpack, hiding in front of police, digging holes in the backyard, hiding money. You know, being on the road, coming back from places and having the cops pull you over and put guns in your face and you're a little black kid, traumatized. My grandmother told me, you're never going nowhere with your mom again. <laughs> Literally, you know, so... When I tell you what laying all of that out to you and to say what saved me was the foundation that my grandmother gave me, you know, always she brought me up in church and it's a cliche, but not just church. She brought me up with the sense of self I always questioned, but I've, I've never doubted myself. We miss a lot of that, a lot of the game. From our elders. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you might have grandmas that's, you know, in their early 40s. We need the 60s and the 70s. And they leaving. They gone. And we're missing a lot of our knowledge from our elders. And the key is ask questions. You know, I, I, I'm inquisitive by nature. So I'm going to sit down and ask you everything. Did you ever hustle? Did you do this? What did you guys do back in the day for money? Right. How did you do this? And my grandfather started a club in Mississippi, Louisiana, called the Money Wasters Club. So that tells you what they were on and what I was around. And these were legitimate, strong black businessmen in the midst of segregation, owning businesses in the deep south, being successful. You know, I grew up around that. You know, so on the one side where I had the streets and the wildness, we had the Richard Wrights. We, I knew where I came from. We got 1,200 acres down south that are family land that we've owned for generations. I can go look at, go out there to a cemetery and trace my family tree back to the 1800s. I know who I am. I know everything that makes me who I am. So there's a confidence 
and as a self-assurance that I have that I can't explain, right? So I always tell people knowledge of self, right? We need those things. And knowing that I always knew there was something more for me, even when the doors were shut. Family members didn't do things. Mom and dad was acting crazy. Mom, my mom used to tell me, I know a bunch of people who went to college and don't have ish, right? You don't need to go. I actually just had that conversation with somebody right. who told me the same thing. Like, you don't need to go to college. And then <laughs> it's just a piece of paper. <laughs> right. But who do you hear that from all the time? You only hear that from people who haven't gone to college. Gone to college. And I said that to one of my friends. She would always say, well, why do you have this kind of car? Why do people need Mercedes? Why do people do need this and that? So I always tell people, check yourself on those things. I don't envy. I don't cover anything anyone has because I can manifest and get anything that I want. It's called manifestation. So you always have to be mindful of who's in your circle. So going back to building on your question, what kept me on the right track was the people that I surrounded myself with. I learned at a very young age that if you want to be successful, that you can look to your left and look to your right and whoever's standing there, that's where the hell you at. And I always had friends that were going to college on scholarship, people that were going out, starting businesses, doing different things, things that pushed me forward, going to the military. I knew from the time that I was a little kid, I was going to college. I was going to go no matter what. And I knew by going to college it was going to give me keys to be successful despite all of the things and all of the failings, the shootings, the killings. Did I get depressed about those things? Of course. But I use those experiences as fuel to push me forward. My friend that got killed who couldn't graduate high school, I was going to graduate high school for him. My, my, my buddies that was on a corner with me when I was young and wild and, and hustling that didn't make it that's in prison doing a hundred years, I'm going to be successful for us. I'm going to do it for us. You understand what I'm saying? Those are the things that, that push me forward. And again, innately knowing that there's something better for me. So I come to Madison. I have my mentor, Bill Levy. I get these job offers. And then I saved about $25,000 in college from working and doing different things. And I took that $25,000 and went to Atlanta and started a, and invested in a business with my commercial cleaning business with my uncle. And that's what I did right after I graduated UW Madison. It was a good experience learning. That's when I started learning the other pieces of being a corporate business person from there, because I was dealing, negotiating my own contracts. I was going, I had contracts at rest stops on the highway I had contracts with different schools and different banks. I negotiated those contracts, negotiated the services, and negotiated all the fees. But at the time it was happening, I didn't equate it to business experience. It was just something I was doing. And you've heard me say, everybody that does business don't know how to do business. And it was a time when I was doing business but really didn't understand how to do business. Uh, What I learned from that experience was, Business with family can be contentious. There's a respect thing that has to be there and a trust thing. Our situation ended when, quite frankly, I wasn't getting any return on any of the cash that I invested in the business. 
And it was starting to be not my business, but my uncle's business. So if you don't appreciate what I bring to the table, then I separated. And I actually moved away from Potter Springs, Georgia. And I moved out to uh, off of Jimmy Carter with a friend of mine in a home. And I started my first real corporate position at Achieve Incorporated in Atlanta, working for a very successful African-American IBM executive that lived in Atlanta. He trained me to become a corporate professional in sales. Wow. So my journey to become the corporate professional in sales that I am now and business owner because he owned the business. I got to watch him do his thing. So I stayed there for a couple of years and God doing things in his mysterious ways moved me back to the Midwest. And when I moved back to the Midwest, I moved to Minnesota, worked for a company called up and coming engineering company called Ergotron. Um, Again, always used to being the first and only African-American working at these companies, which I was a national account representative working with government contacts, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, the Department of Defense. I had to get governmental security clearance because I was working on projects no one could know about. This is when my professional, real professional experience started to be manifested, going on to those facilities, putting together training facilities, training options for their employees, taking a plant that has paper and making it paperless with all the computer mounts when everyone was converting. I was a part of that conversion. Selling accounts, I think my Lockheed Martin account was a $10 million account that I developed from looking at an ad on TV to closing the deal. Boeing came from that. So learning at an early age, being successful in those spaces, getting to a point when companies get bought and acquired and you're at the top of the pay scale, sometimes you get bought out. Situation like that happened when the owner died and I moved off Trent. I actually moved back to Atlanta working for Ergotron. And I opened up their southeastern location in Georgia and did that for a number of years and then transitioned back to Minnesota to working for Thompson Reuters. And that's when I consider myself becoming a polished corporate representative. And when I mean polished, we're talking about real money. No knock to anyone earning whatever, but a lot of paper. And my pinnacle high twos to threes. Okay. hundred million? Not million annually in terms of oh okay okay in okay, terms okay. Of, of earnings oh okay annually. okay okay now that's not counting. I'm saying y'all the the accounts that you were managing were oh million dollar my the accounts that I manage now my quota now is fifteen million and that's why I always tell people sales is a great profession you make seven five to seven percent of that so what's your sales style salespeople in general should be solution sellers consultative salespeople. What I mean by that is going back to, again, I'm only using car sales as an example. If you walk on the car lot, I look you up and down and I make a decision about what I think you can afford, Mm -hmm. what I think you can buy. And if I make the wrong decision, I could offend you, not just offend. I lose the deal. I lose the sale. Right. So it's all about trying to my sales is conversation. So when you talk about the gift of gab, I call it. I'm a, I like to have conversations to understand what you're dealing with, meaning how are you doing, sir? Thank you for your time. Why don't you start by telling me the situation that you're currently navigating, that you're dealing with? Once you go through those, that uh, description, I ask, 
So are you happy with the current vendor that you have? Are you happy with the products that you're getting from them? Are there any things you would change? Those are the fine pains. The goal is to understand what are the pains? What are the things you could change? What are the things that you don't like? If I get you talking and get you telling me those kinds of things, then you're going to tell me how I need to service you. You're telling me how to get your earn your business. And I earn your business by what you and I talk about all the time, doing what I say I'm going to do. Oh, that's so key. Doing it consistently, doing it immediately, but doing it. And if I can't do it, making sure I say I can't do it, but I'm going to go find out how to get it done for you. So I've listened to what you've told me you needed. I provided a solution for you. On top of that solution, I've told you what the pricing of that is, and I'm willing to negotiate with you on your buy point so you can purchase from me. And what you and I talk about all the time, a million dollars isn't a lot of money to me, so I'm going to ask you for it. You got to tell me what you can afford. I'm going to ask you what I think is not a lot of money, and I'll tell you it's not a lot of money. If you got a $15 million business, a million dollars is not a lot of money. So what are we talking here? Do you need the service? Do you need the product? I'm at the top tier in my industry. You need to buy from me. And I tell you that you need to buy from me. Guess what else comes with selling me? The way that I service the account, the way that I keep in touch with my customer, the way that my customers see me consistently, the fact that I'm the expert, my customer doesn't have to be. I know every piece of equipment, every, all of my customers have that they buy for me that my motors go on in each one of their facilities. I keep it on a spreadsheet. So when I walk through the door, I know everything that's in the building. You don't have to tell me. I can tell you what you need before you tell me. That's called being a corporate professional, being a consultative salesperson. Those are the skills that I picked up. Again, going back to answering your questions by continual education, Sanders courses, all kind of different sales courses, even now wanting to become a better salesperson. Why do I want to become a, a better salesperson? Because I want to learn to listen more than I already do. When you're in a meeting with someone, if you're talking more than they are, then you're losing. Your customer should always be talking more than you. You should be listening and taking notes or asking questions. So if you pay attention to our interaction, I ask you questions all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was part one of this two-part conversation with Cedric Page. Stay tuned for part two. Thank you for listening to Out of the Box Podcast, an inspiring show advocating for our current and former inmates and their families in Wisconsin. Are you interested in starting your own podcast? Click our affiliate link or Buzzsprout for all your podcast hosting needs. You can also support the show by clicking our support link in the description.